1: but I'm very well aware that it is not women of color's job to educate us on you know, what we're doing wrong and how we could be doing better. That's what we should be doing ourselves. We should be searching for the information. We should be going out of our way to read these books and to study
0: and gain knowledge. Welcome to the Business Babe Podcast. My name is Lauren Liz Love and I am a success expert transformation strategist, business mentor, and the owner of a million dollar online empire. I'm obsessed with helping women receive it all in life and in business. If you are a woman dedicated to growing herself, leveling up, achieving big goals, and being the best version of you, then you're in the right place. My goal in the Business Babe podcast is to show you step-by-step how to transform and create that version of you that you have always wanted to be and how to be, do, and have it all, financially, physically, and internally. Think of this podcast as one-stop shop for your daily dose of personal development, growth, next level learning, all the things. We will cover topics like personal development, business strategy, spiritual practice to elevate, expand, and align into your next level. I'll show you step-by-step the tools, the strategies, and the teachings to create the life that you desire, Because success and freedom are your birthright. Thanks so much for listening. Here we go. Hello, you guys. Welcome back to the Business Babe
1: Podcast. We have a really special episode today. Um, You know, with everything going on right now, influencers and, and brands are handling the situation all differently based on what feels right to them. And I've seen some podcasters take pause and not air episodes. Given the circumstances, but for me, I wanted to create some content for you guys that was valuable and educational and provided a lot of resource for you. Uh, I'm a white woman. I grew up in a really white environment. I grew up in a white racist environment where I was conditioned to believe many, many things by, you know, my grandparents who came from Italy and, you know, didn't really spend a lot of time with people of color. And so I have a lot of embedded racial programming that I'm trying to undo, especially in this season of of life. And I think the first step to fixing a problem is admitting that you're part of it. And so i have been part of it. And I'm doing my best to fix that and to improve that and to educate myself. And I wanted to encourage all of you guys out there to do the same. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter uh, how uh, aware or hippie your parents were or how awake your parents were or how non-racist your parents were. If you're a white woman and you're listening to the show, you probably have some conditioning that can be undone. And in today's episode, I have the honor of sitting down with four incredible women of color from the business babe community. I posted inside of the group. I had this idea. I wanted to get women of color into a roundtable talk, just to ask questions and to talk about the issues that are coming up right now. What white fragility means. What white privilege means. What what racism exists in this world, and how to really do our best to deprogram ourselves and to create hope in this environment. I think one of the greatest takeaways of this conversation was that all of the women agreed they're hopeful. Uh, despite the tragedy that's going on with George Floyd, despite, despite everything that's happening in this country, it feels like now there's hope for change, for something to be done differently. And I am choosing to do my best to be a part of that change. So in this episode of the Business Babe podcast, I sit down with these four incredible women. We have Sherry, Danielle, Marlena, and Sharon. And this conversation is absolutely incredible. I cannot hype it up enough. I cannot say enough magical things about these women. They were just so open and real and true to themselves and in Raw with me, right? And just sharing radically with all honesty about what they see and what they've gone through uh, and what they desire from this world in this lifetime and this season of change. So I encourage you guys to just sit back and enjoy this conversation. And I just want you to know too, we had a couple of little audio flare ups and hiccups within this episode. So if you do feel a glitch, especially when Danielle's talking, you're going to feel like a little flub in her first conversation be patient. We fix it. Everything gets better. Um, And this is just such a magical episode. So despite the audio flare up, it's still well worth the listen. Have an amazing time. Enjoy this episode. And thank you so much for being a part of this beautiful time of change. beautiful beautiful. now I, I'm gonna press record just so we can um, have I'll have everything in one place and I'll edit it as needed of course okay. um, but thank you thank you it's beautiful um, Sherry what about you uh,
2: my name is Sherry Gardner and I am in Los Angeles California I am a new life coach uh, for single moms and women in transition meeting divorcees um, just whatever they're going through changes in life and What I expect to contribute to this could be, uh, it's gonna be awareness. Mm. And like Danielle said, just to be open, you know, and authentic.
1: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you, Marlena. Hey,
3: I am a career coach and I focus on Black women um, making career changes so that they really don't leave anything behind um, in terms of finance and, and, you know, fulfilling. And um, as far as this conversation, I'm really looking forward to it just to uh, offer the perspective um, that we don't hear a lot of, which is, you know, Black women, and to hear from us and to be open and and honest with Mm. what our experiences are.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you. Sharon.
4: Hello, everyone. Um, Sorry, Lauren, for jumping the gate by asking everyone where they're from. But um,
1: I always do that
4: when I get around women just to kind of get an idea because you kind of know the perspective. So I apologize for that. Um, I am a soul and self-care strategist. Um, I help women find, keep and utilize their magic the best way possible. And I do that through health, wellness and mindfulness, coaching and tips, tricks and techniques to really help them remember that voice that's within Um, as far as today and what my expectation or what my offer is simply like um, my fellow queen said, just perspective and authenticity and just a voice that for all intents and purposes is muted, maybe not intentionally, but definitely muted and just having some space for that opportunity to just really shine our
1: lights. Mm -hmm. Thank you. May I share as well? Yes. So, um, so my name is, is Lauren. Hi. <laughs> so happy to see you. Um, and you guys know I'm from Long Island and I live in Connecticut now. Um, my intention today is to learn from you, incredible women, and to hold space for. Uh, collecting your knowledge and your experiences and sharing them on a platform where they can be more heard and more seen and more understood? Okay. So I I think it's really important for me to say right out of the gate that I'm probably going to ask some really fucking dumb questions. Like I, I have to just like, let you guys know that. Um, I did not grow up in a diverse environment. And so, and that's no excuse, but I think it's just important for me to say that I'm not going to say everything right. And if I don't, please tell me, right? Like, that's really important for me and my knowledge. Um, I also want to say that I am very well aware, and I'm also emotional as I talk, so please forgive me, but I'm very well aware that it is not women of color's job to educate us on, you know, what we're doing wrong and how we could be doing better. That's at what we should be doing ourselves. We should be searching for the information. We should be going out of our way to read these books and to study and gain knowledge. And so first and foremost, thank you guys for taking time out of your day to actually have these conversations because, it's, it's not your job, right? Like I should, I should be going, getting a fucking book and like studying these things. So, um, I really deeply appreciate you guys for being available to have this real rock conversation today. So I honor you. Um, thank you. So, uh, I want to start. I, I have a lot of questions, right? And I, I want to dive into a ton of different directions, and I'm going to try my best to keep this within an hour to respect your ladies' time. Uh, but I, I guess the first thing is, what is your opinion and what is your heart saying to you about what is going on right now in the environment? I think that's kind of, let's start here, and then we can kind of backtrack and talk about all of the other things. But I'm so curious to know where your hearts are with everything that's happening in the world right now. And you can raise your hands, whoever feels called to share. I think you can all share. One of you could share. It's totally up to you. And unmute yourselves as you feel called. Yeah, Marlena.
3: So I believe you said the question is, where is our heart right now with everything going on? And for me, I think I, I move first as a mom because I'm a mother and I have three Black sons and I am... Um, terrified uh, for them. Um, I am, you know, it's hard for me to talk about it without feeling the visceral water behind my eyes start to form because I have um, a range of, six. my sons are 16 to 11, um, pretty much in age, and my 16-year-old is a large Black boy, and I am afraid for him every day. He walks out the house to go on a jog, and... I think for me, um, my heart is troubled. It um, has always been aware of the state of our society. It's never been, I've never thought something it wasn't. I think it's just how visceral and how um, moving it is to see this so consistently in such a close period of time, I think is what has made this experience a little bit different for people, is that it's been back to back. We haven't been able to catch our breath from the amount of trauma that's been happening to black and brown people in the midst of a very chaotic and scary situation that's shared amongst the world. So I think for me, my heart is in a state of shock, um, but it's starting to come through a place of hope with people like yourself reflecting and asking themselves some hard questions, and as well as us seeing the ugliness for what it is and being able to actually talk about it Together and not have to talk in silos. So that's where I am.
1: Yeah, um, Sharon, you were you were also nodding your head. Is there something that you want to add to that? She
4: said it very beautifully and just it, it touched me because her perspective as a mom. Like I, I feel although I understand what you mean by saying you have sons, I only have daughters. So when people, you know, you've seen the things socially about you know my son and. I feel almost guilty because my perspective is different, meaning I only think about their safety, you know, keeping sure that, you know, body awareness, you know, and my daughters are younger too. And I think the extra spin for me, I feel guilt because I am married to someone outside of my race. And so you have the dynamic of, we already, as black women, toe the line because you understand professionally. And in school, there's a, pers- you, there's a box you stay in. You stay on a line where you're not too much this way or too much that way. And then when you add in, for me at least, the um, my husband is Hispanic. So it's just an interesting time of towing the line. And it, it, it's, it's, it's a really challenging time to be alive. I keep saying that. I don't regret it, but it's just a really challenging time to be alive. And I'm really hopeful as well, Queen, that we, we're um, strong conversations and the other side be willing to listen.
1: Mm. Well, I, you know, I, was in, I shared this, I think, on uh, one of my videos. I was in television news when the Trayvon Martin incident happened years ago. I don't know if you guys remember that. And I actually stood next to his parents. As they watched on the screens the live feed from the courtroom as George Zimmerman was getting his like preliminary sentencing, and it was the most surreal, chilling experience of my life that these these parents were going on this campaign to create awareness to just and I knew in their hearts it was to really wake people up and uh yeah I don't know why I just felt called to bring that, but in that moment, that was like. I think the first time that I actually realized that black people had a different way of being safe or a different protocol, um, you know, the kid was taking Skittles out of his pocket and uh, are all of you parents are all of you parents? Wow. Okay. So do you have to talk to your children to explain different things about police and other people. I know, Sharon, you talked about this line, right? Like walking the line. I want to explore that because it's very, I had a lot of questions about childhood for you guys, but Sherry, you, you raised your hand. Can you tell me about that education that, that um, your kids have to go through with you?
2: Yes, I have um, two sons. Now they're adults, but um, one is actually biracial. And I grew up in a home with a mom who was a civil rights activist. So I saw a lot. I learned a lot, but we were never taught prejudice, even though she was a civil rights activist. Mm. So I saw a lot of things. She told me a lot of stories. So when I, I knew when I had boys, I had to talk to them differently, especially about their safety, how to conduct themselves. Not so much when they were little, because we didn't have what's going on in schools that's going on now. You know, kids are getting killed at school. We didn't have that when my boys were growing up, but when they became teenagers, I've always talked to them, but when they became teenagers, I had to let them know if ever approached by a police officer, do as they say, you know, you have to, because you're not, you're not white. Basically, that's what I told them. You know, they're going to judge you. They're going to look at you. They're going to accuse you. So you have to make sure you're doing the right thing at all times. Well, later you find out that doesn't even matter because you could be doing the right thing and get killed anyway. Um, my son, my oldest, my daughter-in-law is white. And he was in L.A., just minding their own business and got pulled over. Nothing was wrong. They weren't speeding. Nothing was wrong with the. You know, headlight, none of that kind of stuff. They just wanted to harass him because he had a white girl in the front seat with them. I taught him about that growing up, you know, but I never told my children, don't date outside your race, don't, Mm -hmm. because we loved everybody, you know, because that's how I was raised. Yeah. Also, with my youngest being biracial, to me, that was a double threat (laughs) because he was getting things from black people. He was getting things from white people because he had to figure out where he fit in.
3: Mm.
2: He was, is, he looks white. He doesn't look black at all, but he is black. So he can get around a lot of things. You know, back in the day it was called passing. You know, he could be in places and do things that other black, my other son couldn't do because he looks white. So my problem with him and talking to him was Everybody's not your friend because he believed everybody was. He only hung around rich white kids. They'd be in the cars together. They'd be, and I always have to tell him when he leaves the house if the car gets pulled over, you have to be careful because if something happens, you could be the blame. You just you just never know. So I had to raise them with an awareness of, yes, I'm black and black people get treated differently. Black men definitely get treated differently and are looked at differently. Um, My youngest who was mixed, I had to put him in uh, self-defense class. Because, like I said, he was getting it from both sides, so he had to learn to defend himself. I just felt that was necessary. But my, you know, my oldest was a little different. So yeah, you do have to have that talk. Um, It really doesn't start till maybe, you know, elementary school, you start middle school, but then it progresses as they get older because they're more quote unquote threatening the older they get.
1: I do have a lot of questions about childhood. um, And I, I was also, I was kind of, nervous to ask this question because I don't know how appropriate it is, but were there moments for you guys growing up where you realized, I'm black and this means I'm different? Like, are there specific memories that you can recall as a kid? Yeah. Okay, okay good. I asked a good question. Danielle, can you go first? And then Marlena, I want to I wanna call on you as well.
5: Growing up, you know, that was made aware that I was different and things were different for me. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. I was always pretty much the only black child in my extracurricular activities, in my school classroom, pretty much everywhere. There was only a handful of anyone who looked like me. And I was made aware of it. I grew up doing ballet, um, and I went really far to dance. And when I was coming doing extracurricular like that, that is dominated Um, in that world, You, you definitely do have people who tell you things because you're never going to get this part. We had auditions. I went to a professional ballet school and you should stand here. You're never going to get this part because you're brown and those parts don't go to brown kids or black kids. And even though I was really good, even my instructor would say things like that, you know. You're really talented, but you should just focus on jazz or hip hop, you know, because you have more of a chance at a professional long term career that way. Yeah. And it was told to me from as young as I can remember that I should stop taking so many ballet classes and I should really focus my energy elsewhere because I had a chance at being a professional dancer and I shouldn't waste my time. And I was always cast because that was, I just fit the mold for those roles as a person who had pigment in her skin. So um, that was just in my extracurricular, but in school and everything else. And my parents did have the talk with me at a very young age because I had a a lot of white friends on why I couldn't do certain things and to be careful of my white friends and be careful not to get in trouble because it would always come down harder on me because I was black. Whereas they may not get in trouble or they might just get a slap on the wrist. It will follow you your whole life because you're black. You can't do the same things they can do.
1: It's it's wild to me that for generations – parents have had to have these talks with their kids like this isn't even something that is happening just now with our boys right and educating them on safety these are talks that have been going on for for years and years and years um i wonder marlena you had something too on this can you share yeah
3: so i had a interesting childhood in that i grew up in a um South south side of Chicago, but I also would go to rural Champaign-Urbana with my dad for the summers. And so I was immersed into completely two different worlds. So I think that initially taught me um, how different I was because I would see two different worlds based upon the makeup of those communities. And so that distinctively like let me know certain things. I I was able to infer certain things Um, like wondering, okay, why predominantly black neighborhoods on the South side look like this, but this area um, has nicer homes and it feels, you know, it's safer. There's not, I don't hear sirens. Every time I'm coming down the street, I can take long walks, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, um, I remember one thing that in my childhood, I remember taking a swimming class um, and me and my twin sister, and we were probably the only black kids there because we were in Champagne taking it. And I remember just being isolated. The other kids not talking to us and then kind of like looking at us funny. And then at one point being pushed into the deep end when I could not swim and a white boy did it and thought it was funny. And um, no one came in the pool. I mean, I just happened to kind of crawl my way out of the pool um, back up, but it like it scarred me for my whole life with swimming. Aww. And it's things like that, that, you know, I was, just I just knew but then also I don't know as a black person growing up because I so-called spoke well um you know I've been told my whole life I'm articulate and (laughs) but black folks would tell me when I was younger I talked white and so I learned wow from a very young age um and I was like what do you mean white people don't have like ownership o- over like dialect what are you talking about and so that kind of made me upset for us because that's so true just did not even <laughs> accept grammatically correct language as their language they didn't even own it they were like you know you're supposed to talk like this and talk like that and, yeah. and that was a journey as a young woman <laughs> to be like you know you're arrogant you're conceited yeah. because you speak from, like you just Exactly.
1: I I have heard this from multiple black women who say to me, oh, yeah, I had an advantage because I spoke well.
4: Yes you can yes yeah you can be able to use your words, put them together and not be in a threatening way. You can get a lot more done and be able to navigate in a lot more places. If you can be a, I'm I'm sorry. It's like a cheat code, right, women? Yeah. Right. It really you know, is. It, yeah. it's a cheat. It's a cheat code, and unfortunately, that's just the way it is. For you know, some of our, you know, I don't I don't want to say our counterparts, but for women that don't have that ability to speak mm-hmm. and and have that, it's an advantage, and mm. that's just how it is in our
2: society.
1: It's, Sherry, you yeah,
2: I'm going to tell you about a story that happened to me. Um, How old was I? I was in my my late 30s. It was like I um, moved to Houston, Texas, and um, I wasn't working, so I signed up with a temp agency. And, you know, you have to give your uh, resume. You talk over the phone. They call you in. So I'm in there to be interviewed. And the lady comes out. She looks. She goes back in. She comes out again. She looks, she goes back in. Now, mind you, I'm the only one sitting in there. I'm the only person, the last interview. She comes back out again. And I had to ask her, are you, who are you looking for? What? And she said the name. I said, uh, that's me. And her face was like mortified. Right? So I go in and I'm like, why didn't you think it was me? And she goes over the phones. You sound white.
1: Wow. And my wow. resume
2: and my credentials <laughs> were white. So I was like, that wow. was the first time that ever happened to me. And I was like 34, 30. I, I couldn't <sighs> believe it.
1: Unbelievable. I mean, you guys are all raising your hands. You're like, yes, I've been here. You can keep yourself off mute. If we, so we could just have like an open conversation, oh, but this shit is yeah. wild to me. So yeah. so there are prejudices in, in our, in our, how we, how we raise our kids. Right. And then there's also these issues that come up in the workplace as well. Oh um, and one thing that Danielle had actually spoken to me on, cause Danielle and I work privately together. Um, how it's harder for for you to create the, the success that maybe a white woman can create. And I'm so curious if we can dive into to that and what that means and, and what that looks like. But first, mm-hmm. I want to explore this concept of the line because you had said this, Sharon, you said uh, early on, you're like, not too much this way, not too much that way. What the hell does that mean? Like, let's, (laughs) can we explain that?
4: Absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm. Outside of, you know, like what Sherry said about, you know, you, you can speak a certain way. I know, and I, I like, we we know there's a way to navigate. And so the line, you don't want to be too forceful. You don't want to be too aggressive. If there's something going on at work, you know, in your professional setting, You know, if you feel a certain way, you can't be too passionate because it skews people. It it shifts the room. People become defensive. People feel attacked if I'm speaking strongly versus, guys, that's such a great idea. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, can we think Mm. about it a different way? Do you see how I just changed my voice? Yeah, yeah. You can easily do that to assist people and ensure that you're not going too far past what's comfortable for them not because your voice isn't valid and your points aren't valid. And maybe you have a really great idea that's going to save a lot of money, get a lot more exposure and attention and attract clients, but you've got to tone it down. It has to be very unassuming more than not. I've seen credit of stuff that I gave that, Mm. you know, my counterparts um, Mm. got the credit and it doesn't matter to me because that's just, I just know that's how I navigate the world. It makes me, it's just easier for me that way versus coming so hard to get the attention and the credit because that's just not, in our generation, and in our society, that's not where we are at this point. Maybe now it could be, but you gotta, you got to definitely play the game, know quickly when you come in a room, look to see, is there anyone else that looks like me? So you know you have a silent ally for the most part. And then from there, if you see no one else, you already know, okay, I know how I got to play it. I know how I have to pull it back. Some I have to definitely tone it down, I, and that's just yeah. Lauren. That's just the way it is. <laughs> that's the way Sher- it is,
1: Sherry.
2: Um, I was just the opposite. <laughs> um, young, twenties. Yes, I knew I had to be two different people. You know, just like um, Sharon was saying, to navigate to get to the positions that I wanted to be in. Not only because I'm a woman and, you know, quote unquote, it's a man's world, but then you bring black into it. So Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're two people when you walk out the door Mm -hmm. and, um, I had to always remember that. But as I got older and more mature, I left that. So if I had a strong voice or a strong opinion, I used it. I gained respect from it too.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and I continue to do that. And I, like I said, the whole household I came from, civil rights movement, you know, I had that mom that said, you can be anything, you can do anything, you go for what you want, you'll get it. You know, that. I had that, everybody doesn't have that. So I, I would test, I would test the boundary because, yes. you know, to see, and it promoted me. It put me in places that I didn't think You know, I would be able to get to, and people respected me for that. They came to me to be that voice. One of my positions, I was known as the mouth, not (laughs) in
3: a bad, not in a
2: bad way, but because they weren't strong enough to do it. So they'd come to me, and I'd be like, "Well, let me think about it." Oh, yeah, you know, that's a good point. Okay, yeah, I'll do it. And they became my allies. I didn't have to worry about, you know, somebody throwing me under the bus, or like when I was younger, like Sharon said you do the work and they take credit for it you know but that that no longer existed once i stepped into my power so to speak and my power was my voice hmm. so maturity changed that for me so you know yeah.
1: and and now all oh sorry marlena what were you going to say
3: yeah i was going to say for me it's it's been an interesting journey cuz i don't think i know i was intentional with certain things of towing the line. So for me, it was more like my hair. Like, you know, I was very specific on how I wore my hair. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. It's it's really asinine that we're expected to wear our hair a different way than what grows out of our head.
6: (laughs) 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 Professional.
3: That's crazy,
6: but no yes. one
3: thinks about it. Like, my hair does not naturally come out with my hair straight. <laughs> I was to straighten my hair. It's straight- true. <laughs> wow. My, my mouth, a whole extra job, you know, You know, in terms of going through things. Um, how we dressed. you know, how I change my hair. I remember that the hair is a big thing because I would <laughs> it often because we can't. You know, I can do it tomorrow. I can cut it here. And I remember someone was like, "Oh, you just, you just always changing. It. You don't have a style." I'm like, "Yeah, the style is I get to change my hair." <laughs> what do you mean? Like I don't do haircuts. No, like, that's not our culture. It's not like you're to keep it. That's just not what we do. It's nothing wrong with it. But it was like mm. you're othering yourself by changing your hair. Or people coming, yep. what hairstyle they like on me. I'm just like. I don't ever tell you what yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, where to work. and you think that that's okay. So I think for me the, the line was understanding microaggressions, which to me is just bad behavior um, that we gave it a nice name because again, we're trying to be nice as we are <laughs> suffering. Yeah. Um, My,
1: so, Mike, just if we could pause for a minute, microaggressions, because this is a new definition that I think many of our listeners, this is the first time I'm hearing it, it's when we make comments. Yeah, yeah. First time I'm hearing it, sister. Thank you. Um, so, this is when we make a comment that is actually inappropriate. Backhanded.
4: Yes, backhanded. Yeah.
6: Oh, yeah. Back,
1: backhanded. Okay. Um there was this moment, I'm just, I'm sharing this for a minute. There was this moment I was at a wedding and this girl, I thought she was so beautiful. Right. And I had, you know, some drinks. So I was just like, you're so, oh my God, you're so beautiful. She had like these hazel eyes and African-American woman. She was just gorgeous. Um, not, and not because she was, I mean, she was just beautiful. She was, so I was like complimenting her and I, I said, I loved her hair and her hair. She had these, she had space buns and I've always wanted to wear space buns and I couldn't. And I walked away from that conversation. I'm like, oh my God, what the fuck did I just say? Like, (laughs) this was probably so insulting to this girl. And like, we're used to it. Oh my God. I was humiliated. Like I felt so bad not even realizing, because the truth is, if she was white and she had space buns, I would have complimented them because I've been trying to do that for years. <laughs> but a microaggression, is it, is, is it the energy behind it? Is it the comment itself? Like, how would you define and how would you explain what a microaggression is?
3: That's a good question. And to me, a microaggression is when you're saying something without saying it. Like- Your tone, it's like a a snot. a snide tone, it doesn't even have to be rude necessarily. It's like, do you articulate ignorance in some way? You know, um, whether that's intentional or not, sometimes it's like, you're gonna be ignorant or it's like, oh, you just are ignorant. About this thing, um, like you said, you didn't think about the buns until later. You're like, oh my gosh, I could have came across that way. So that was like mm. you were you you were ignorant of the possibility of that coming across that right, way.
1: But right, right. And
3: then people do things that are really ignorant. So I'll give you two examples, and you know, let the other ladies share theirs. To me, so one was where I had a colleague. I helped them with a project, and we both worked for we worked for um, uh, Pepsi. We worked for a Fortune 500 company, big company. And as I helped them through this project, at the end of it um they told me how articulate i was and how they just were and i'm the only person of color they were just so surprised so surprised you're so you're so good at this i was just so shocked and they thought they were giving me a compliment and Mm -hmm. i couldn't (laughs) wait to get off the phone with them i was, you know i was like you can keep that up you can keep that compliment Compliment. (laughs) Compliment. (laughs) if i I surprise you by my (laughs) you're not complimenting me you know what i mean so that's kind of like They were being ignorant, and they didn't really know it, right? Um, They thought they were complimenting me by telling me I was smart because they didn't expect me to be so. I don't know, Mm. right? But the (laughs) other one was I shaved half my hair, and I wore – like, I was in still corporate America at this point, a different company, still big company, and I had a meeting with someone. And throughout the entire meeting, he was a white man. I'm talking to him about our project, everything, and he's staring at the side (laughs) of my head. He is staring at my head. He's like this. <laughs> and I just I I kept going, I kept talking about the project and he stared and I mean you would have thought I, I, I was bleeding from my soul the way he was looking. Wow. But that was like to me, and like you would never do that to someone else. Like you would never sit in a meeting unprofessionally and stare at their head like like that's like aggressive. To me. So that's mm-hmm. aggressive. Like he aggressive. was getting, again being ignorant and he had to know he's being ignorant because he's not done that i've never seen him do that to anyone else you know so those are my examples
1: yeah um
2: to me microaggression is stereotypical you know like the person that says i'm not racist i have several black friends what
4: i I hate when people say that
2: or or you know it could also be internalized racism like people who are walking down the street let's say a woman with a purse and then a black guy comes by and she clutches her purse or one person, there's a black person in the elevator. You don't want to get in. I mean, you see it, they're doing it. That's aggressive. You know, I
1: I will admit like I, I, I grew up in Long Island, but then when I moved to the city and I, I didn't grow up in a culturally diverse environment, I did those things. Right. Like i Clutched my purse and I felt uncomfortable when it was just
0: me. I my purse.
1: Black men behind me, right? Like I, I had that fear, um, and I think that was in part because there was one occasion where I was followed, and called at repeatedly, and that could happen with a white man or a black man, whatever. But um, yeah, so I think you know this is this is it's embedded within us. I think for some of us, and we're not really even. Um, we're not doing much to change that. Yeah. We're conditioned. We're conditioned. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Nothing's happening on accident. This is intentional and this is purposeful, the conditioning of everyone to some degree. So Mm -hmm. you're speaking to your conditioning and you're just being enlightened to it now in certain ways, but that's the result of anything. You put something in an environment and you only allowed exposure to certain things, you know, it's going to develop a certain way right put it somewhere else it's going to develop differently and the that's what we are i think the point of this is like to understand what we've been exposed to is really based based upon how you develop it's not necessarily consequential like sherry Mm -hmm. is this person because of melanin in her skin and lauren Mm -hmm. doesn't have any so she's this way like no This is conditioning. Let's see how we've been conditioned and how we want to condition one another so that we can come together and respect each other. But Mm -hmm. that's that's what I hear when you say that. Like you were conditioned to fear.
1: Yeah. So, um, what do you feel now in this the 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 approach of white privilege? Like, can we just explain? (sighs) Let's explain what white privilege is. Let's have a conversation about. The truth of it, the issues of it, um, and and because I think there are a lot of women now. This is I'll tell you what I think. Um, I was very triggered by the word privilege before it was attached to white, and I just heard she's privileged, she's privileged, and this was spoken to many online influencers who have lots of money, who created success, and then we put this word privilege on them. And when I heard that for the first time, I was like, no, that, that lady worked for that. Like she, she worked for that. That's not a privilege, right? Like she worked, I worked for this, right? And so I was very like triggered, but as this conversation has grown deeper and deeper, I'm coming to recognize white privilege and really identifying with this concept of my rise to success will be an easier ladder to climb. Because the color of my skin. Yes. Is this this what we're... This is the umbrella of white privilege, right?
6: Yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And I know it's hard for people to hear that, but it's the truth. And it's been the truth with anything that we've done. It's not just this industry. It's not just a career. It is the very real truth that we as black women have to work a million times harder to be seen as an expert, to be seen as intelligent. We have to prove our worth first. It's not, whereas I feel a white woman, and it's not even I feel, I know a white woman, if you have a white woman and a black woman in the same space, and the white woman says, well, I, you know, I am, An expert at this, and the black woman says, Well, I'm an expert at this. It doesn't matter the experience. White trumps black (laughs) every time. And it's a very real (laughs) truth. And the black person then must prove with every fiber in her being. She has to show credentials. She has to prove her worth repeatedly to even come up right behind the white person who needs nothing to prove that and it, it's 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 shown i mean look at look at podcasting look at the experts that people seek out look at mm-hmm. who's heading the industry how many black women millionaires are we seeing in this industry hell how many black women true six-figure earners are being showcased
1: Well, I even said this to you when we were talking via Voxer, I had a moment when all this was going on where I looked at my podcast and I scrolled through and I said, why the fuck are all of my experts white? Mm
3: -hmm. Like,
1: what the fuck? Like, it was a very big wake up call for me. Um, Yeah. So why do you think it is? if we really explore this, why is it harder for a black woman to climb that ladder than a white woman? Because she's black.
6: Yeah, because it's society doesn't view our worth as the same.
1: <laughs> I told you, I'd ask some dumb questions, right? <laughs> well, like, yeah, no, no questions because dumb. she's
4: white.
1: And the assumption the media, is she
4: knows. The assumption is she's been groomed. The assumption is you know, she she's just provides a value. Yes, yeah, she's yeah, educated yeah. and who are you as a black woman? You, you, you don't have those same experiences or, you know, that's just, just sit back and let her take the stage. That's just.
3: Oh
2: yeah. The
4: assumption. Yeah, it's just Sherry. the assumption.
2: And the, and the thought of they're taking a risk,
3: mm. <laughs> you
2: know, yeah. white woman, oh, you're yes. a sure shot, but if I attempt or maybe do it, I'm taking a risk with you.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Oh yes. Yes, oh yes. Sherry.
6: And I, we're yes. told that. We're yeah. told that. And it's not only that we, they deserve more from us because they took that risk. Mm. They deserve more. We should be doing more. And a lot of times the expectation is different mm-hmm. that we work harder for them
4: yes.
6: because we're black and right. we should be grateful Right. It is. Oh, you said money. the G
4: word. You said the G <laughs>
6: word.
4: Oh, not God. You crap. said the G That's word.
3: Oh, you,
6: you should be, you great. Should be grateful. Make it. Lauren, I'm going to be honest with you. I've built multiple six-figure businesses. Multiple. And I can't tell you how many times a disgruntled customer has thrown, you should feel grateful. You should be grateful that I was even here. because my client base and I am a little different of a situation because a lot of times as a black woman, we are expected to stick with our own. Mm -hmm. Like our ideal client should be black. We should have a black business. And what I mean by that is we serve black customers only. Uh, You know, like how dare we actually have white customers? Who is she to do that? And the fact that we could possibly have white customers that are attracted to us seems so far-fetched for so many people. And so much so that most, I notice that a lot of black business owners avoid it because yes. they don't want to deal with people accusing them of wanting more from them, of having a higher expectation of them than should, that should be placed.
2: You know? <laughs> and that doesn't just come from other races. It no, comes it comes from our, our own race as well. well. Once yeah. we yeah. do acquire any customers outside of our race, you know, like then you're then you're uh I'm not going to say stigmatized but you're looked at as you're not helping your own people. You mm-hmm. know, so uh-huh. it's 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 crazy. <laughs>
3: it's a battle. It's yeah. a battle really because it's interesting because that gratitude comes from the workplace comes from individual Mm -hmm. clients. Um, there is twofold. So you get the job sometimes where you're making really good money and people are like, well, you, you know, if you're saying, Hey, my counterpart here is not pulling his weight or her weight and you want me to take on another project. And they're like, but you know, you could do it. You know how to do it, but we making the same money. So why yeah. did you expect me to do more work? That's not going, like, that's not going to work for me. And they think, like, again, mm-hmm. you're being ungrateful. That's ungrateful. Oh, yes. Or you have the, the counterparts where a lot of times, sometimes people, non-people of color, this has been my experience sometimes, they want, they like what you're saying, they like what you're doing, but they don't want to invest invest because you're a person with her because they don't know so it they is. just figure out how they can keep
1: talking to you yeah. so it's like a lack know. of trust yeah is is so is. Like oh yes
3: value they trust what you're saying because they following you everywhere you are you know they don't want to invest because it's something in their psyche that's like well if i need like i think because they're used to black people entertaining they're used to black people being accessible but then uh. having to pay a black person, oh, their wisdom, ma'am.
4: And their knowledge. So madam is. Really I'm clapping for you, yes, ma'am.
3: <laughs> sorry. sorry,
4: I put it down. I'm sorry, yeah, no, that, no, no, that, that needed That's it.
3: That's okay. You know, I'm sorry.
6: Need we That's needed to okay. clap. You
3: can buy Beyonce tickets, but if I'm gonna come seek you as a consultant, if I'm gonna yeah. follow your knowledge, what does that say about me as a white woman or a white yeah. man? I need you, and you're not. <laughs> and I think this. Some of them is. It's subconscious. Like, again, it's yeah. that conditioning. It's like, why do I feel conflicted, but I enjoy everything you're presenting to me? Where's, mm-hmm. where, where's the rift? And that's where it is. It's, they're not being taught to value what we say, even if they enjoy it.
1: There's also this concept of... Um, okay, so this belief, right, that Black women are entertaining and accessible, right? In this movement where we are trying to... I think not majority of the planet, but just the people over here, right? Like our conversation right now, white, black, people like us who are trying to really create change and open up awareness. Um, There's this other side of the fence where white fragility comes in, right? And I want to share this with you guys because I think this is an example of white fragility, but I'm like, not sure. Um, So I did this post on Facebook and I was like, look, I grew up racist, right? My grandfather was a racist. They had children. They were racist. They had children. They were racist. And now I'm here. And calls me. And says, you are putting of losing their jobs. Because nowadays, if you say something that could offend a, a person of color, as a white person, you could lose your job. And so like in fear like total fear mode right total fear mode like don't say anything um is this white fragility like this does this count i mean it's pretty racist but i mean like does this count and what is white fragility and how do we recognize it and avoid it or fix it
5: i
2: don't think that's white fragility no that's just racism that's racism racism. yeah
0: that's racism yeah (laughs)
3: Self-preservation is what came to mind to me. That's what the-
0: yes, yeah.
3: yes. 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 Preservation. preservation
2: coming across. Um. I, so I look at it, the fragility is like they just don't know what to say or know how to be. So they just say, like I was saying earlier before, I don't see color. because yeah. that doesn't put them in
1: the position. My friends are black, right? Like yeah. that's white. Frag- well, okay. no, when
2: they say I don't see color, that puts them in A position to whereas they don't really have to talk about it,
3: Um, and
2: if they have to confront it, yeah, there lies the fragility. Because it's like I don't know if I'm gonna say the right thing, the wrong thing. I don't know what to do. It, you know. So that to me is white fragility. They avoid the
6: easy way.
2: Yeah, it's an easy way. The easy way.
6: It's the easy way, and it's it's the historic use of white women crying. Oh oh, yeah. Mm. To invoke protection of society. Because when a white woman cries, everyone jumps to her protection because she she's innocent and she's fragile and she needs this protection. And the world has to do everything in its power to keep her innocence preserved. And it's been historic that a white woman will cry. And cry with real tears, and cry for help, mm-hmm. and the world will throw everything at her feet, yeah. even if it's hurting. well if she's person. in the wrong,
4: if she's in the wrong. Remember, um, yes. in South Lady. Carolina, yep. Susan. Oh yeah, Susan's last name. You know, she cried and said it was. I th- I thought I remember her saying it was black, black men man. that took her cho- that took yeah. her children, and yes, that was, and she was tearing it up yes. and. Oh, yeah. I mean, we all felt and rushed yes. to our defense and, wh- How
2: you know. Oh, oh that's, I don't th- know, you know. story. And it became a black man. Oh, voice. yes. Oh, fine. yeah. Yes.
4: She, 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 she was, she had, you know, not being funny. She had, you know, really thick glasses and brown hair. And, you know, she was very, not frail looking, but she just meek. was very un- meek and very unassuming and tears and my, find my babies. You guys remember that? Find my babies. and. Oh, yeah. It it came and it was a, a, you know, all black men were being sought after who was in the area. And it turned out, unfortunately, she went to a bank and she let the parking gear off her car and let her two boys drown.
1: Yep. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. And she she blamed. Wow. The
4: tears. Yeah. The tears were, that was a really, that was, yeah, the tears for sure.
6: Yeah. But that's like a sign and it's, it's used in that way. It's used in a lot of different ways but fragility it's like we have to protect the white fragility like we can't it's women black women are viewed as aggressive and strong and can take all the pain that the world inflicts on them and white women are so fragile and soft and so they have to be protected and the world does it and some women like even it's an example of it is in this situation where a white woman would cry yes. and be so hurt that people could think ill of her or in, can turn the situation literally around and make it 100% about her and not yes. about any issue whatsoever. Well,
1: I'm, I'm thinking specifically to a situation that happened recently with an online influencer that I know personally yes. and she, I think you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so this this person, she posted something very surface level about what was going on. Um, just like tag women of color to support, and that was pretty much her only comment. And the thread was a lot of women of color saying, this is not enough. We need more, right? Like, we, are, we need you to show up and speak. Um, and it turned into this really aggressive conversation where this influencer deleted a bunch of comments from women of color and was and then eventually shut off all commenting on the post and then did a whole bunch of insta stories crying. so again, this is what you know feeling like she was attacked right this, she was attacked by her audience and um, so I, I I'm now understanding as we're talking more about this, this concept of white fragility, uh, and I, I think too. Some the the season that I'm in, and I would love your point of view on this. The season that I am in is just radical honesty, right? Like I've I've shared so much with you guys about like my family upbringing, my my racist parents, right? Like I've kind of like really opened up about some really uncomfortable stuff, um, and I laugh because it's uncomfortable for me to talk about, right? And that's like kind of my coping mechanism. But I'm I'm wondering. Is that what's needed right now for women who are white to take ownership of their upbringing, their conditioning, their experiencing, um, or their experiences, and to share what they've, what they're now ready to heal? Or is there something else that white women should be doing to show up to really eradicate the embedded? racism that kind of exists within our whole country, our whole world. So, yeah, Marlena.
3: One thing I wanted to add about the right fragility. It's the inability to sit with something that's uncomfortable. That mm-hmm. they don't oh. see immediately. Like that's the most basic form of it. So it doesn't even have to be oh, yeah. I don't want us to just leave it there. It is the need to resist any truth that you don't identify with. Mm-hmm. From mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that, when you somebody tells you or you know cops are, you know pull you over for no reason when people need to say oh I, I got uncles that are cops like they don't do that that's why you, you can't you don't understand that is why white fragility Just
5: because
3: we have identified morality to be what is not being racist and what is racist and if I'm not immoral then I can't be you know, I can't be this thing that you're talking about. I can't have privilege if I ever had cancer. You know, I can't, you know, if I ever lost yes. life, I can't. This is the white fragility. You can't sit in something that you don't identify with. So it must not exist because everything that white people experience exists in their world. So you cannot be someone like, how can somebody other than me, right? Come tell me something exists in a world that's about me. You mm-hmm. can, yeah. you know, can't do it. that's yeah. where that comes from. From. As far as your, your question about yeah. what we can do, what do people need to do? Um, you said you talked about radical honesty. I'm going to be radically honest with you. Yeah. What people need to toughen up and understand that it's going to hurt? Like yeah. going to fire for change to come with a song and a dance when we've been on fire for 400 years. I cannot dance for you. I cannot hold you. I'm burned, right? I'm scarred. Mm-hmm. How do you expect for you to be able to touch me without me recoiling and without you looking at those scars and saying oh my god what happened there's no way for us to be smiling in that type of situation and that's where we are so I think honest to goodness as much as people love to emulate black women without kind of owning up to that they think we're strong okay we guys to be stronger and I, I don't really need to know why you're a racist or why you're conditioned. I know that. Like we already know. We've been yeah. trying to navigate around it and to keep you comfortable enough. Yeah. Oh, 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 you, oh, oh. I'm trying oh. to her, um, I <laughs> wanna bring it out. Oh. oh I'm trying to do that with you. So you don't have mm. to explain nothing to me how you got here. We know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to like lay groundwork. What I need yeah. to you is to be able to Be with the ugliness of whatever your experience is, of the the, the things you've done to people unbeknownst to yourself until this time. Be willing to be with the ugly parts of you and be able to come to me and handle me telling you what that's done to me. Then that radical honesty together can actually bring real intimacy. Mm, That's the only way we're going to move forward. This country is so ugly because of our inability to tell the truth. We will Yes. yeah. So start there, tell the truth to yourself first. Yeah, because I know it. And yeah. I can tell you my truth and we can start from there. Does
1: anybody want to add to Because that? that was so beautiful. That yeah, was that was really that good. was good. I just that was pretty good. Yeah, I just think, you know, it's about acceptance.
2: You know, like like um Marlena said of your feelings what you're feeling inside, accepting how you were raised, like you were saying, um, your history, you know, and dealing with that and seeing that it's true. You know, people want to excuse it away or that was 400 years ago and it's not like that now. And, but it is. So accepting that, yes, this is happening. Yes, this is the way it is. Yes, I am part of it, but working on it self, not going outside to try to talk to women. I mean, you're doing this. This is good what you're doing, Lauren, but you know what I mean? Like I talk, I see posts that say, I talked to some of my black friends and they said, I should read this book and read that book. And how do you uh, learn a language? What do they tell you the best way to learn a language? You immerse yourself into that language. Yeah. So, do the same thing with a black community. Don't fear it because of the way you've been taught. Get in there. Yeah. You know, like the ground zero people speak of and learn, you know, because you have these preconceived notions that they're all bad. They're all on welfare. They all live under the poverty line. They're all uneducated. They're all looters, rioters, killers, murderers you name it you drug know?
4: dealers. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. You're, they're mm-hmm. out,
2: But it's not true. But that's what you've been conditioned to believe. So you have to unlearn what you've been taught. But that comes from within. Like Marlena said, we can't show you how. We can't teach you how. You have to do that. That's self-work. That's self-development. Mm-hmm. So
1: Yeah. You gotta and- learn it. I think
3: that's the biggest thing. Like, yes. Do you want to know? Because if if you want your you want the world you live in are you i think for me the biggest struggle sometimes is like when people try to defend or try to argue that the world isn't the way it is it's like a movie just look at like could you imagine going into a classroom every day and being the only white person if you can't imagine existences that you know exist there's your evidence so just just start from looking at the world you're in what is this world it's not because you know, all of us reside in Africa and like there's somewhere else, like this is a problem worldwide. Like what do you see in the mainstream? It's the only stream. What would it be like as a child to never see people that look like you on your television? Like just get basic, you know, yeah. Yeah. who you see serving you versus who do you see owning businesses? Who have you been taught is in charge? Just basic things. And if you be honest, again, that honesty, what do you, what is in your world? That shows you who you are and shows you what you've been taught. Yeah. If you start there, you can do the work that you already probably know. It's just facing it. I don't even think so much self-reflection. It's like, take the, the-, and the Disney movies off and, 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 and tell the truth. you yeah. know. And we can Love go, it, but people are so afraid to admit that this exists right. for a couple of reasons, whether it's the pain of understanding who they've been in their life and they just can't see themselves that way. They can't allow it. Or they feel like they're gonna lose it. They know it. Those are the other ones who know and they're like, eh, I want to stay this afraid. way. You're gonna retaliate. We're afraid. You're gonna do to us. What What's it did? gonna cost me? What am I going to you lose? Yes. My specialness. It was like, you were never special. It was all a lie we were convinced to play by. Like this is mm-hmm. a plan. We're all being forced to play our roles. So how about we be truthful and the play gets better. The world gets better, for real. You know, because yeah. I don't know. I have a question for you on before we close out. I'm just curious. Yeah. of course. I always wonder. Um, so you say like you're learning so much. I guess I've just always wondered: do do white people ever think of? What it's like, or like, do you ever not realize, okay, like, police officers, like, do you ever just think that everybody feels safe? Do you guys ever just consider the fact that other people don't feel like how you feel? Or is it really like you really don't know? You really just never thought about it?
1: No, that's a good question. And I can't speak for all white people. I think I could just speak for, you know, how I grew up, but my parents never had conversations with me to be, you know, careful how I talk to police officers or, you know, to make sure that I don't let my hands leave the steering wheel or, you know, um, never, I never had those conversations growing up. Um, I will say from my experience in television news, there was, and in New York city, this was, I was probably like 22, 23, um, and learning about one of the governors, I forget who it was. Maybe it was like Pataki or something, but there was this big movement to, uh, that resulted in a lot of arrests of black people. Um, they were criminalizing marijuana. I like a really ridiculous makes no sense. And they were targeting black people to get them off the streets. Right. Um, and learning about that historically, that's where I was like, Oh, something's right here. Um, and then the Trayvon Martin incident and and watching that unfold, I was like, oh, something's not right here. But never before that, did I ever feel like black people and white people were treated differently and, and were unsafe. Wow. I think mm-hmm. it takes an incident. It takes an incident. I never thought. Like, I mean, yeah. I never thought it. Yeah, yeah. I, I never did. Um. I think I had, you know, feelings of, of feeling like it was weird growing up that there was like one or two black people in my classroom and that was it. And I went to Catholic school and then as a young kid, I was like, well, I guess like black people aren't really Catholic. Like I couldn't like, you know, I didn't really have that understanding, but, um, yeah, no, I, I was not aware at all growing up. Yeah. I have
2: a question, but not necessarily just for Lauren, but for all of you ladies, because it's something that has been, I've been asking myself, what do you, why do you think this incident was so different? We've had so many killings of African-Americans by cops, by just regular random people. Why this incident? I mean, I have my own opinion, but I mean, what, why do you think this one is so, has everybody in such an uproar and... You know, I I was here for the Rodney King. I was here, you know, so why this one? Has it made such an impact?
1: I'll let you women share first.
3: Because they knew. To me, they knew they were being recorded. I feel like so many other incidents, they were caught. But they didn't know they were being caught. I think this one was unexplainable because... The officer knew he was being recorded. But he knew, all of them knew, everybody was going to see this and nothing changed. And it mirrored a, a old school lynching when you would hang a black person from a tree and a bunch, a group of folks would watch and nothing would be done. It was, I think to me, that's the biggest difference. We heard about every other incident after this one. We saw it. And to also see the person dying and vocalizing their suffering Mm -hmm. was very different. It was the the two, I think, that people just could not give the humanity, the cries for their mother. People just couldn't, they couldn't dismiss that.
1: Mm. Yeah, Danielle. I agree too.
6: It's different to watch it happen and watch this man cry for help and slowly watch him die and watch and know that the officers knew Mm -hmm. they knew they were being recorded. They knew people would see, but they felt so invincible because Mm -hmm. they knew that in the back of their minds, that no one would care, Mm -hmm. that no one would care because he was black,
2: Or, or the fact that nothing would happen because they get yes. off
6: all the time, you know, you and get away with it.
2: Yeah. And for me, I'm just going to say my opinion, everything you lady said, but also the fact that everyone's home. Yes. And yes. Everyone is watching social media. So this was the most televised murder <laughs> because that's exactly what it was. And people were like appalled. Like this isn't TV. We're watching this ain't no movie. This is for real, you know? And, it just sent a shockwave, outrage, anger, words I can't even say or express. It was just like, this really happened. And so many people, millions saw it. And I, I really give it to the lady that did, the young girl that did record it. You know, she's getting a lot of backlash, but she did record it, you know, and other people stood around and that I don't even want to get on. But it's just like, it it was the most tele televised, you know, as far as social media and people just were like, Oh my gosh, you know, this, this is real.
1: Yeah. I think the, I mean, this is kind of a overall umbrella to what's going on in the world right now, but there's a lot happening energetically and spiritually on this planet and things are really fucking changing. Um, and it feels for many people, I think it feels like 2020 is this kind of, you know, waste of a year where like we, you know, we're inside and we didn't get anything done and all of our goals are crushed, but I disagree. I think 2020 is the year we're going to look back on and go, Oh, this was where we went that way instead of this way. Right? Like that's where things started to change. Um, and so I think there's a, a very deep, spiritual shift and awakening within the planet that's happening right now. Uh, And I think this is definitely part of that. Uh, I do think I agree with all of you because we're home and we're all on social media and there's an opportunity to get our voices heard because we're all connected to one another more deeply now than we were because we got nothing to do. Uh, And I also think too, it's about damn time, right? Like it's a, it's about fucking damn time. How many of these have we seen over the course of how many years? Yes. (laughs) A lot. A lot. And it's always like these weird stories where the person wasn't doing anything fucking wrong always. And that's, I think what's so mind blowing to me. Um, I mean, it's all mind blowing, but, um, yeah. Anybody have anything to add on that?
2: Well, it was true what you just said. Um, it's been going on a long time, but the difference is, and there is a shift, I believe it. The earth is healing. Um, people are spending more time with their families. They're enjoying those houses they bought. I see a lot of people working on yards, all kinds of things, which is really great, but it's been going on for a long time. But this video you can't excuse it away. No. You know, because most of these people were arrested for something or maybe not even arrested, but they would say, Oh, well, they weren't complying with the officers or they weren't, you know, you can excuse it away when you don't see it. So when you see it, you cannot excuse it away.
6: Period. Yes.
1: Yeah. Listen, thank you, ladies. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you all for being here. This episode's going to air on Tuesday. I, I deeply honor all of you. Um, I'll ask that you, if you can share an image in our chat so that I can create a nice graphic of all of us together, my team can, and we'll share it and get it out. Uh, and we're also holding space for you guys to come do any trainings that you'd like inside of the business babe community. I know Marlena, I think you're actually talking tomorrow or something. So if you guys want to do trainings oh. on anything, um, women of color are welcome to use our platform for the next two weeks. So, um, or whenever, you feel called but thank you guys thank you so much thank you for, very much oh, thank you for beautiful it's a
4: really <laughs> wonderful conversation thank you lauren for bridging it yeah. queens thank you as well for the, your nice time meeting all and of you i'm yeah. gonna facebook message you all just so we can be friends so i'll connect right. thank That'd you be great. Well. That'd thank be great. you
1: guys i'll speak to y'all soon okay,
4: okay. Love bye you. love bye. and light guys bye. be bye. safe bye